Hello and welcome to our BMJ Best Practice Clinical Podcast. Kieran Walsh is my name. I'm Clinical Director at BMJ and I help look after BMJ Best Practice and BMJ Learning. BMJ Best Practice is our point of care clinical decision support tool that takes you quickly to the latest evidence-based information whenever and wherever you need it. The content is continually updated, it is evidence-based, and it provides practical and actionable information that will help you at the point of care. And this podcast is about Ebola. You should learn a little bit about how to recognize, report, and refer affected patients. And you should also be able to better answer your patients' questions at the end. To help us learn about these things, I am delighted to introduce you to Dr. Tom Fletcher. Tom is a Wellcome Trust Ministry of Defence Research Training Fellow and an Infectious Diseases Specialty Registrar in Liverpool. He is also a physician in the Defence Medical Services and his research is into investigating the pathogenesis of Crimean Congo hemorrhagic fever. Tom is especially interested in viral hemorrhagic fevers and has been deployed several times to West Africa to help with the Ebola outbreak. So Tom, it would be great if you could start us off by telling us a bit about your experience with Ebola. Yeah, thanks Kieran. I um, I was working uh, before the West African Ebola outbreak uh, for the World Health Organization in Geneva as part of a team trying to improve the care of patients with Ebola. And then um, when the outbreak started in West Africa, um, set up treatment centers in the very early days in Guinea and Sierra Leone, before returning with the military to Sierra Leone to mentor and establish their treatment center, before finally finishing up uh, with Save the Children as their clinical lead as they established a treatment center in Sierra Leone too. So all my experience is really uh, in West Africa, um, but I also am part of a group that advised um, uh, centers in Europe and the US on how to manage exported cases. Great. Thank you. So could you tell us what exactly is Ebola infection and will there be another outbreak? Sure. So uh, Ebola virus disease is a, is a severe life-threatening and viral infection that occurs in, in Central and West Africa. And unfortunately, yes, there, there will be another outbreak. Um, I think we know currently that there's no cases circulating um, in humans at the moment, but we haven't eradicated its reservoir host. So the virus still exists in bats and probably in non-human primates. And so unfortunately, it's only a matter of time until the next outbreak. How would you recognize an affected patient? And what tests would you request? Well, this unfortunately can be pretty challenging. I think, um, as in most things in medicine, a history is probably the most important thing. And for Ebola, it's about history of contact. So you can only get Ebola if you've had contact with somebody who's been sick or been to a funeral or potentially been a healthcare worker or in a laboratory. So... It's that the most important thing is that that history of contact with patients, because otherwise the the initial the initial presentation of Ebola can be quite non-specific and hard to pick up. In terms of tests that we'd want, I guess as an infectious diseases physician, we always want a lot of tests. But actually, you have to recognise with Ebola that there is risk in the laboratory too, and so you have to justify every test that you do. Um, the most important test is probably a diagnostic test for Ebola as a PCR to confirm the infection is there. Then after that, it's important to know what the renal function is like and what their electrolytes are like to guide your supportive care management. Great, thank you. And tell us about the mainstay of treatment and also, in particular, what isolation measures you might need to take. 
the mainstay of treatment uh, is supportive care for Ebola virus disease, and that's really centered around uh, fluid replacement, often with intravenous fluids and replacing electrolytes that are often uh, significantly impaired. Um, patients with Ebola often have co-infections with malaria or, or other bacteria that needs managing, uh, and often this is best delivered with a bundle of care approach, um, similar that we use for critical care interventions. I think the other important thing to mention is access to therapeutics. So these were trialed in West Africa and promising candidates such as the monoclonal antibody therapy, ZMAP, and also newer antiviral therapies are important considerations to manage patients uh, with Ebola virus disease. In terms of isolation procedures, it's really important to isolate patients uh, quickly as soon as you suspect a patient with Ebola virus disease. They should ideally be in a, in a side room with access to their own toilet facilities. And in terms of high resource settings, uh, you may have more advanced isolation procedures, including negative pressure uh, rooms, uh, and that's even better. Great, thank you. And in terms of referral, um, I'm guessing you need to refer, but tell us about where you should refer and how urgently. I think that depends on, on the location that you're at and the, uh, and the referral advice that you have available. But I think as any severe infectious disease, uh, wherever you are, you'd want to discuss it with your local infectious disease or medical microbiologist for advice about, particularly with respect to suspect cases. In the UK, there's access to the imported fever service, which is, as well as giving you expert advice, will give you access to diagnostic services too. In terms of in other countries, um, in endemic settings, it's really important to report cases early, even when they're at the suspect level, because then you'll get the necessary support from the ministries of health in terms of access to take samples and confirm that infection, then also support to manage those first few cases. And then the countries themselves um, have to notify cases as soon as they're confirmed um, uh, through international health regulations uh, to the World Health Organization. Great, thank you. And typically, in, in your experience, what do patients and their relatives want to know? And what advice should you give them? I think you have to recognize that um, patients with Ebola often have a huge amount of fear. Sadly, they've seen uh, family members or, or friends of theirs with the infection die and naturally are pretty scared about what their outcome is going to be. So they want to know uh, really about their prognosis. I'm always pretty positive. Uh, and the advice that we, we give them uh, is generally uh, that with good supportive care, uh, they can have a, a successful outcome and survive the infection and that they can help themselves by uh, drinking plenty of ORS, uh, eating well whilst in the Ebola treatment centre, and also having a degree of hope. And a, a difficult question about differential diagnosis. How can you tell Ebola from other differentials like malaria, yellow fever, typhoid, etc.? Yeah, unfortunately, that's very difficult too. The initial stages of Ebola are pretty non-specific. So just a fever, a headache, maybe some myalgia and some lethargy, which is similar to many tropical settings in that in that environment. So. You're, you're guided again by this history of contact that patients with Ebola should have had contact with somebody else who's died uh, during uh, an epidemic or someone else who's been sick. Um, and then you're guided by access to testing. So the way that you really um, narrow down your differential is by a test for Ebola, then access to other rapid tests. So you can do a malaria test at the bedside. Uh, and if those are negative and the Ebola test is negative, uh, often you can then treat people with access to more uh, investigations because the risk of Ebola is, is much lower. Okay, thank you. And could you tell us what do you think are the common pitfalls that you see in the diagnosis and management of Ebola? I think uh, the, the common pitfalls um, relate around um, 
a lot of people believing, particularly in the beginning of the outbreak, that this was an infection that should have both high fever and hemorrhage, given that it's a viral hemorrhagic fever. But it was clear from some early research we did in Sierra Leone that actually only a third of patients had a temperature above 38 when they were confirmed to have Ebola. And actually hemorrhage existed in a minority of patients. So that was a pitfall in terms of recognition of the syndrome. Otherwise, people didn't recognize that malaria can exist as a dual infection with Ebola too, which made it challenging. Uh, and also that actually the PCR test, which is really important for diagnosis, can be negative in the first couple of days of infection. So if someone does present early uh, and that test is negative, you'll have to repeat that again at a later stage. Okay, thank you. That's uh, extremely helpful. And tell us about any other recent advances that doctors and other healthcare professionals should know about, about Ebola. So the clinical trials that were undertaken during the outbreak are, are obviously finished now because there's not access to patients to evaluate novel therapeutics on. But the vaccine studies have continued in West Africa, particularly in Sierra Leone and, and uh, in Guinea. And they've recently reported some results which, which demonstrate that the two vaccine candidates have promised and seem to uh, generate antibody immunity up to a year. So that's encouraging. I think other results, other advances that have come out recently relate to uh, survivor cohorts. So a lot of work after the outbreak was done to research the long-term sequelae survivors. We've demonstrated that disability exists uh, much more commonly in survivors than, than those that weren't affected. And also there's significant eye problems during recovery. Uh, and there's a lot of work ongoing uh, for that too. Um, another advance I think is important to mention is, is that the WHO has recently published its guidelines for supportive care. Um, in low resource environments, which was a grade process uh, and really makes strong recommendations for IV fluid treatment and electrolyte replacement guided by point of care testing uh, in low resource settings, which is a big advance, I think. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, what other questions do you typically get asked about Ebola by doctors and what answers do you usually give? So at the beginning of the outbreak, and still sometimes now people ask me, you know, what did Ebola look like? Uh, what, what were cases like that you managed in West Africa? And I think at the beginning we didn't know really what the, the history of Ebola was like, but through good data collection we understand the natural history of a, of a mild, non-specific illness in the first few days, then progresses through to a severe illness with diarrhea and vomiting, and then in, in, a, in a percentage of patients develop hemorrhage, confusion, and then unfortunately die. So we understand that natural history of disease now. And the other question was generally around, were you not worried about getting infected in those settings? And I think the answer, the honest answer from everyone who works in West Africa is probably yes. But I firmly believe that with the right infection prevention control training and working in safe environments, you can deliver a good care safely. Great. Th thank you. And, and specifically on that, what are the, the, the main personal protective uh, actions that doctors and other healthcare professionals should take? Well, I think you, you have a duty, obviously, to protect yourselves and your colleagues as healthcare workers, but also to protect other, other patients who might be in that facility or might be other, other suspected patients. So it's a, it's a tragedy, really, if someone were to acquire Ebola from another patient in a healthcare facility. So the, as we mentioned before, isolation of those patients and limiting access to them is the most important initial intervention. And then the second is probably wearing personal protective equipment correctly and safely in how you protect yourselves from the virus um, that the patients have. They're probably the two most important um, infection prevention control precautions that you have to put in place uh, immediately. 
Last question. Um, if you had one or maybe two pieces of advice that you could give to healthcare professionals about Ebola, what would they be? Um, I think the first would be uh, that good supportive care saves lives. I remember writing that on a poster in my first day in Sierra Leone about principles of Ebola care, and I think that's true today, three years later. And uh, the thing that intimately goes with that is safety. And so when I was teaching people to go and work in treatment centers, I would say that you really have to do an individual risk assessment every time you approach a patient with Ebola and really ask yourself this key question, you know, is it safe for me to do this? Thank you very much indeed, um, Dr. Fletcher, and, and thanks to you all for listening. We hope that this has been helpful, and we hope that you'll be able to put what you've learned into action to better recognize, report, and refer affected patients. If you do want to find out more, then please click on the link in the podcast to sign into BMJ Best Practice and look at the Ebola topic. Thank you once again.